Chapter 9 of Kit and Kitty by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 A Dog Violate. A great observer of these latter days has advised us to abstain from deep research into the origin of our own names. Otherwise, we might become convinced of a lamentable want of lofty tone among those without whom we could not have been here to show our superiority. A vein of fine thought is at once set flowing, but for Ragless it would have flowed in vain, as dogs have no surname to dwell upon. His case was a strange one, and not without interest. Nobody in our parish had any knowledge of his ancestry, although he had won very high repute by biting many people who got over it. Any other dog would have become the victim of an injudicious outcry, but Ragless, by making some other good bites, established his legal right to do it, and was now considered a very wholesome dog, though he might have a temper of his own, but even if he had, who was to blame? Some seven, or it may have been eight years since, Miss Coldpepper was rolling in her carriage down Feltham Hill, when the coachman pulled up very sharply, and just in time to save mishap. All the boys in the village were let loose from school, and with one accord had found a genial pastime, which they were pursuing with the vigor of our race. They had got a poor dog, with no father or mother or even policemen to defend him, and they had put him in a barrel near a garden gate, and tacked in the head so that no escape was left. This being done to their entire satisfaction, what remained except to roll him down the hill? And this they were doing with a lofty sense of pleasure and shouts that almost drowned the smothered howls from within when the carriage came upon them, and very nearly served them right. "'Let them have the whip!' cried the lady with due feeling, when the footman had jumped down and reported all the facts. But the ringleaders had vanished, and the boys who tasted lash were some innocent little ones who had only helped in shouting. "'Hand him to me!' was her next order, and the poor trembling animal saw pity in her eyes, and gave her face a timid lick, which made his fortune. No claimant being found for him, the lady took him home, and aptly called him Regulus, which the servants promptly converted to Raglus, reasoning well that the Italian greyhound wore a coat, but this dog had none save the bristles wherewith nature had endowed him. In the course of time he superseded every other dog and probably every human being in the affection of Miss Coldpepper. If the early portion of his life had been unhappy, Fortune had now made him ample amends, and he should have been in enmity with all mankind, but whether from remembrance of his youthful woes or cynical perception of our frailties and our frauds, Regulus never acquired that sweetness which we look for in dogs so much more than ourselves. His standard of action was strict duty beyond doubt, but a duty too strictly limited and confined to two persons, himself and his mistress. With the rest of creation he was cheerfully at war, though tolerably neutral towards the cook, when she could bid high enough for his consideration. These things made him deeply respected. In person, however, he was not quite a dog to arouse any vast enthusiasm. He belonged to the order of the wiry-coated terriers, if he was a terrier at all, for in him all the elements were so dully mingled that nature could only proclaim him a dog. The color of ginger and that of cinnamon were blended together in his outward dog, 
and he went on three legs quite as often as on four, as much from contempt of the earth, perhaps as from feelings of physical economy. There was nothing base about him. He had fine white teeth, and he showed them, but never made insidious assault on anybody. When he meant to bite, he did it quickly, and expressed his satisfaction afterwards. To seduce such a sentry was an enterprise worthy of him, who, in sweet love's service and dispensing its mournful melodies, enchanted the son of Echidna, and it may have been this sense of difficulty and a sporting desire to conquer it, which led me to follow up the joke and try my hand at a job which had beaten the deepest dog-stealers of seven dials. All day long I hoped to get at least a glimpse, or, if bad luck would not allow that, to hear, at any rate, something of that young lady, without whom my life must grow old and barren, for this was no schoolboy affair of the fancy, nor even a light skit of early manhood, such as fifty young fellows have out of fifty-one, and go their way quickly after some other girl. I had never been given to such fugitive sport, and I was now in the prime of my years almost, and though I might have looked at maidens, and thought what pretty things they are, none had ever touched my heart until now and touched, is by no means the proper word to use. It should be said plainly that all my heart was occupied and possessed to its deepest fiber by a being far better and sweeter and nobler than its outer and bodily owner, and that this must abide so to its very latest pulse, as you will truly find if you care to hear about it. Not a word came to me about those things which destroyed all my attention to any other, and the dusk had stopped work, which was my only comfort, and I sat all alone that Wednesday evening trying to get through a little bread and cheese, but glancing more often from our old window at the gloomy rush of the river, which was still in high flood, though some little abated. Uncle Corney was gone, to try and get some money from people who had thriven on his hard-won fruit, and Mrs. Tabby Tapscott, had left the house early upon some business of her own. The house door was open, for we had not many rogues, till the railway came some years afterwards, and the evening was of those that smell of beehives and cornstacks and horses upon their way home. At last, when I had made up my mind to be forgotten by every one, in came Tabby as bright as a bun. "'Oh, fie, oh, fie!' she cried. "'What air ye be doing of?' I didn't know supper, and zittin as if he was mazed a most. Look at thee what the Lord had sent thee. I was forced to go out of the way to Hampton for it, for year of they long tongues to Zunbury. If this wouldn't fetch Meester Raglas, I'll, I can say, is her bain't a dog, puttin' down in the cellar, when I've learned ye how to use un. From beneath her shawl she produced a little box, which she opened in triumph, and the room was filled at once with a very peculiar odor, quite unknown to me. It was pungent rather than pleasant, and it made me sneeze as well as laugh. You'll be up there by five o'clock when the daisy's eyes be opening, and go to the side door I told ye of. Mrs. Tapscott knew all the household ways at Cold Pepper Hall, through a niece of hers who was kitchen-maid, and vang this by the cord out of the healing without touching oven with thy fingers, and dragging athwart the grass and the pilm the backside of the shrubbery, and then you step out of sight in a luke order. Old dog be put out at six o'clock regular, 
and tis liable he on straight to thee, and let an aid a hummock, and kitch him up vitally, and pop him in the barg, and car on home here, and how zo ye what to do with him, for mind as her don't scamily, her be terrible it to me. She gave me many other minute directions, and made me laugh so that my spirits rose, with the hope of an interesting little farce to relieve the more tragic surroundings. I undertook briskly to play my part, looking on the matter as a harmless joke, though I came to think in course of time that the cruel theft I suffered from might partly be a just requital for this wicked robbery, and yet it was absurd and senseless to make such comparison. Without disturbing Uncle Corney, who slept very heavily, I was up before daylight on the Thursday morning and set out with the box and bag on my felonious enterprise. Coldpepper Hall, or Manor, as it was called indifferently, stood back upon some rising ground at a distance from the river, and was sheltered well by growth of trees. There was nothing very grand about it, and it leaned on stucco more than stone, but there was plenty of room both within and without, and anyone getting inside the doors might say to himself, with some comfort flowing into him, I am sure that I need never be in any hurry here. The sun meant to get up a little later on, when I jumped the palings of this old demoscene at a place where of right there should have been a footpath, but the owner of the manor had stopped it long ago, receiving the superior claims of quietude. Nobody had cared to make a fuss about it, but enough of ancestral right remained to justify me in getting over. Every window of the house was still asleep, and I gazed at it with humble reverence, not as the citadel of the cold peppers, but as the shrine of my sacred love. Then I chose a place of ambush and a nest of hollies, and approaching the sally-port of Regulus, I drew a slow trail from it across the dewy grass to my lurking-place, and there waited calmly. Sweet visions of love from the ivory gate now favored me with their attendance, partly perhaps because love had not allowed me to sleep out my sleep, far as I am from any claim to the merits of a classical education. I had been for some years, off and on, as a day-boy at Hampton Grammar School, and could do a bit of Virgil pretty well, and an ode or two of Horace. Whenever Uncle Corney came across a Latin name, he would call for me, and take it all together. I had long been considered the most learned young man in Sunbury. Even now I remembered, though most of it was gone, the story of the nymph who placed her son in ambuscade for Proteus, and the noble description of Regulus on parole waving off the last kiss of his wife and babes. Grimly he set his manly visage on the ground, and my Regulus was doing the very same thing now. Fat Charles had opened the door with a yawn, and sent forth that animal of Roman type to snuff the morning air, and perform his toilet, and pay his orisons in general. Luxurious days had told their tale, and it was too plain that Capua had corrupted Sabine's simplicity. Regulus moved with a listless air, and his desire to find whom he might bite lay dormant, and no sense of iniquity pricked his ears or lifted the balance of his tail. Let the world wag, was the expression of his eyes. I get whatever I want in it, and would wag it also if I were not too fat. It appeared too certain that if I meant to catch him, I should have to go and bag him where he stood. But suddenly down went his nose, and his bristles flew up, and every line of his system grew stiff as wire. He had lit on my trail near a narrow flower border, and it presented itself with a double aspect. 
Was it the ever-fresh memory of a cat? Not a cat of everyday life, of course, but a civet cat, a musk cat, a cat of poetic or even fabulous perfume? Or was it the long-drawn sweetness of a new ambrosial food? Heaven sent to tempt this once lively but now vainly wept-for appetite. Whatever it might be, the line of my duty was marked and beyond evasion. Those of our race who have made a study of dogs, for the sake of example, declare that the best and most noble of them follow quest with their noses well up in the air. Regulus failed in this test of merit. He spread his nostrils affably within an inch of where the worms lay, pricked his hairy ears which were of divers colors, and with the stump of his tail as the loftiest point of his person ran bee-line towards me. In accordance with his fame I made ready for a bite, but to my surprise he paused when he came point-blank upon me and seemed taken aback, as with some wholly new emotion. Regardful of the teaching of my nymph, I offered him a portion of the magic sop, and while he was intent upon it, slipped a stout potato sack over his head, tumbled him in with the push on the rear and shouldered him. Taking the path across the fields, I got home without meeting anyone, and found Tabby waiting for me near the root-house, which was simply the trunk of a grand old oak, with a slab of elm fitted as a door to it. No one was likely to visit this old storehouse at the present time of year, and the loudest wailing of the largest dog might be carried on in the strictest privacy. But I meant him to be happy there, and so he was, to some extent, for he seemed to resign himself as if recalling his early adventure in the barrel, and regarded his later prosperity as a dream, and probably the charm of the drug he had swallowed acted benignly upon his nerves. At any rate, he allowed himself to be secured by a chain and a fold pitcher, and even licked my hand instead of snarling and showing his teeth. Every arrangement was made for his comfort, and he lay down as happy as a lotus-eater. After breakfast I took a little turn in the village, and there had the pleasure of seeing Fat Charles, the cold-pepper footman, nearly trying to run and looking sadly out of breath. He carried a leading strap, with no dog to it, and under his arm was a bundle of papers. As I approached him with kind inquiries, he drew forth his roll and requested me to read, while he was recovering his breath a little. My face must have turned as red as his, for this was the first theft I'd ever committed, except for some apples from a rival grower, a curmudgeon who would not tell us what they were, and I felt very queer as I read the following, written in round hand with many capitals. Reward of one guinea, lost, stolen, or strayed, a large brindled terrier known as Regulus, the property of Miss Coldpepper of Coldpepper Manor. He is very hard of hearing and a little fond of snapping. Any person bringing him home will receive the above reward and no questions asked. Anyone detaining him will be prosecuted with the utmost rigor of the law. Charles had a score, perhaps, of these placards written in sundry hands and spelt in diverse manners, as if all the household had been set to work. Oh, Mr. Kit! he cried, for every one called me that. There is a devil to pay up to the all, and no mistake. And all of it blamed on me, as innocent as the babe unborn, and more so, for only obeying of my orders. What did I do but just turn the brood out? For a brood he is, and no mistake, though wholesome in his bite, because it is his nature too, and no one round these parts would be tough enough on the legs to come forward with a view of making off with him. 
and I shut the door too for his quarter-hour errand, as laid down in written orders issued every night, and my hair stood on end when he ne'er come back, the same as his does when he flies at you. But surely, Charles, some of you must have some suspicion, I asked with astonishment in my own voice, and wondering what I should come to, though not far enough gone as yet to look at him. Why should the dog go from such a good home? Because he'd had enough of it, or we of him at any rate. He ain't been stolen, sir, the dog have that knowledge of the world, that all seven dials couldn't lay a tack to him, and everybody knows what our missus is. A guinea? Who'd steal a dog for a guinea, let alone a dog who'll make a pepper caster of you? No, no, I always said old Nick would come for some blessed morning, and I'm jiggered if he hadn't. But, bless my soul, you mustn't keep me loitering like this, sir. Mother Cutham wouldn't have one to stick up in her dirty old window, Lord knows why. Do we take one and stick it on your uncle's wall? Or a couple, if you will. That's a dear young man. There'll be thirty more ready by eleven o'clock. It occurred to me that some of them perhaps had been written by a certain lovely warm hand which had the most delicious way with it that could ever be imagined of stealing in and out of muff or glove, and of coming near another hand, as coarse as a crumpet, in a sort of way that seemed to say, Now, wouldn't you like to touch me? Who on earth can have written all these? I asked. Mr. Charles, why, you must have done most of them yourself. Never a blessed one, Lord Saviour. I've been on my poor legs all the morning. Every maid that could fist a few has ordered in, but the young lady fisted them four at the bottom. Making due allowance for his miscreant coarseness, I slipped away the lowest four, and two others. Those two I stuck up in the outer face of Uncle Corney's red brick wall, but the other four never were exhibited to the public, or even to myself except as a very private view, and every one of them belongs to me at the present moment. The footman thanked me warmly for this lightening of his task and hurried on towards Rasp the baker and the linen draper. So far as my memory serves, Uncle Corney got very little work out of me that day. I was up and down the village till my conscience told me that my behavior might appear suspicious. I even beheld the great lady herself driving as fast as her fat steeds could travel to get her placards displayed all around in the villages towards London although she was not very popular, and the public seemed well pleased with her distress, I felt more than half inclined to take her dear love back and release him at his own door after dark. But Tabby Tapscott said, and she had a right to speak, Don't ye be full now, Mr. Kit. Care the job true once we be about un. And just before dark I met Mrs. Marker and somebody with her who made my heart jump. They had clearly been sent as a forlorn hope to go the round of shops where the bills had been posted. I contrived to ask tenderly whether the dog was found. Not he, and never will be, replied the housekeeper. There are so many people who owe the cur a grudge. Why, he even flies at me if I dare to look at him. Miss Kitty, tell Mr. Kit what your opinion is. I fear indeed that somebody must have shot him with an air-gun, I am very fond of dogs, when they are at all good dogs, but very few could praise poor Regulus, except, except as we praise Mustard, and I heard of a case very like it in London. Her voice was so silvery sweet, and she dropped it, 
as I thought so sadly at that last word, that I could not help saying, although I was frightened at my tone while I said it, "'Surely you're not going back to-morrow. Do say that you're not going to leave us all to-morrow.' Before she could answer, the housekeeper said sharply, "'She was to have gone back to-morrow, Mr. Orchardson, but now Miss Coldpepper has made up her mind to send for Captain Fairthorne the first thing to-morrow, unless she recovers the dog meanwhile.' Not that he knows anything about dogs, but he is so scientific that he is sure to find out something. Good night, sir. Come, Kitty. How late we are. Is it needful to say that Regulus endued a tunic of oak that night? End of chapter 9